Welcome to ArgMax, a show about machine learning where we talk about、uh, papers and recent developments in machine learning that interest us.、Uh, I am Taka Hasegawa. I'm Vahe Hagopian. And I'm Farouk Rahman. And we are recording for the first time in the year 2023.、Um, really excited to、uh, start talking about papers again.、Um, this Paper that we're trying to tackle first is a really hot one and a very interesting one.、Um, so, it is、um, the paper behind InstructGPT、uh, and it's called Training Language Models to Follow Instructions with Human Feedback. And it is written by、uh, the team at OpenAI,、uh, Uyang et al. And it was released. 2022 is the year that I see on this paper. So I'll go with that, 2022. But yeah, really interesting things going on with GPT 3.、Uh, ChatGPT was, was launched, and there's a lot of focus on it. So we thought you know, this would be a good time to really dig in and, and look at this paper and see what's going on behind the scenes. And it turns out that there's、uh, a lot of. Really interesting research that、uh, went into this. So, maybe Vahe, do you want to start us off with a, with a quick summary of this paper? Sure.、Um, so, GPT 3, which is kind of the precursor to this, is a, is a la- large language model、um, which is trained to predict the next token as it would appear on a web page.、Um, so, you give it a prompt and it will try to predict what the next token would be because it was actually trained on a huge corpus of. Of web, web pages.、Um, what they found, what these researchers found, was that、uh, this, this task of predicting the next token that would appear on a web page is not necessarily exactly what a user,、uh, not necessarily aligned with exactly what a user wants when a user prompts GPT 3. So a user might say, might、uh, write a story about, I don't know, about a chipmunk entering a supermarket. And And you might, it might get a response that satisfies the user, but, but perhaps not. Because that, that question that the user asked may not actually、uh, elicit a story from, chat, from GPT 3 if GPT 3 reasons that a web page doesn't have a story, right? So the, the desire was to actually. Kind of align the output of these large language models with what the user actually wants instead of just blindly predicting what the next token on, on a web page would be. So that was, that's kind of the motivation for this paper. And what this paper does is they do that alignment by introducing reinforcement learning、uh, with human feedback. And briefly, what they do is they, they kind of have this procedure, they start with GPT 3. The actual、uh, a trained GPT 3 model, pre trained. And they first do some supervised learning on it. They call it supervised fine tuning, SFT, to create a, a new model. And、uh, they collect a bunch of data, and this data is prompt response pairs. So I think they, they collect, for this paper, they collect 13,000 such pairs. So they, they train for. Certain number of epochs on these prompt response pairs, and they get this new supervised this new model that's better than GPT 
at responding to prompts because of this fine tuning that was done. But they don't end there. The next step, they, the next step is they have an, another data set, which is prompt and paired with several possible responses. And they, they obtain those responses by actually probing the, the model they just trained using supervised learning. So they, they, um, they provide a prompt to, this, to, their, to their SFT model and, and they, get, they get different responses and they actually hire humans to rate the responses to that particular prompt from like first to last. I think they have like, it's like a course gradation of like four, like just, just rank these four models, these four responses to that prompt from best to worst. And they do this for something like 30,000 prompts. Um, and what they do is they train something called a reward model. And what this reward model does is it tries to predict the, how good a response is to a prompt based on training using this comparison that humans provide. So this is kind of the second step. First step was supervised learning. Second step is, which doesn't actually create a model yet, is, is training this, this reward model using human feedback. The final step is to take this reward model, which now can spit out a reward for any response and prompt pair, and use reinforcement learning, specifically the PPO algorithm, to train, to do fine-tuning on top of the supervised fine-tuned model that they had. So they, they, um, they basically run the supervised, they, they feed a prompt to the supervised learning fine-tuned model. Uh, they get a response. They use the reward model that they had just trained to see what, 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 uh, what kind of reward that response got. And they do reinforcement learning to maximize that reward the reward of whatever response the, their model gives 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 them, and that's basically um, that's basically it. So we can go into we can go into more details, or you guys want to comment? So I guess a summary of the summary might be that GPT three, which came out earlier, was this large language model that, as you said, was trained on you know, next token prediction, but that has some issues with alignment. It like hallucinates, I think that's the word they used, or like it, it, has, it, it has issues with truthfulness or like harmfulness. It can, um, so they're trying to use, uh, you know, a combination of supervised learning and reinforcement learning to, to kind of use use human demonstrations to train for, uh, you know, a trainer reward model that can be used with RL or do the supervised fine-tuning so that they can kind of have better outputs, better alignment with what humans intend. Yeah, and actually, actually, um, you, you, you brought up some good points there with, uh, they, they go, they actually talk specifically about how, like you said, how it's, how these outputs are, could be misaligned with what humans actually want. Right, and you mentioned like truthfulness. That's one dimension. Um, GPT three can be known for actually fabricating facts to to give a to give a what looks like a good response, and that's not that's you know uh, not only is it not desirable, but if they want to incorporate this model into apps for usage by people, which I think is probably their one of their main concerns, they don't want fabrication of data. That's that's pretty bad. 
And another one is, that's one dimension, fabrication of data, like lying basically, or making up facts. Another one is toxicity. They talk about, they don't want, um, uh, they don't want toxic behavior on the part of the lang language model. Another one is bias. Um, I think those are the three kind of, in addition to providing a response that answers the user's prompt, those are the three kind of like other constraints, bias, toxicity, and truthfulness. One of the things I thought interesting about these kind of dimensions that they talk about is it's hard to encode this in like one single reward signal. Like sometimes, um, sometimes being honest might be harmful. I feel like so like it's it's um, some of these dimensions are, in a sense, you conflicting with you each maximize other. one, you might minimize yeah. another one. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a you know it when you see it type thing, which is hence, I, I mean, we'll get to the kind of reward modeling, but hence why if you look at their, uh, you know, if you look at the outputs, they label the outputs of the model, right? Uh, they say, they, I mean, they have a, they, they do have, they create a data, a hand labeled data set, but they all, they're also using, um, you know the outputs of a model so like for example they might produce k outputs and they have people rank them right and it's and it's kind of like a you know it when you see it type thing where it's okay is this one let more or less toxic right um yeah so so they're using humans to try to clarify that subjectivity to like generate a reward on you know um yeah i like the you know it when you see it paradigm of, of thinking about it because I, I guess this this ranking encodes kind of everything, um, which puts more emphasis or more importance on like the the graders or the labelers to rank these in in a and the in interesting well, thing is well the interesting thing thing is I guess we're kind of skipping ahead in terms of going right to the reward model. Um, I guess one of the interesting things is, is like this stuff is hard to rank, so you can only really do a pairwise ranking, even if you produce like, you know, let's say you have ten outputs, you can you can't compare all those ten outputs at at the, at, a, at the same time. You have to compare one against the other, uh, um, so it's like a ten choose two problem, right? Like you you're doing ten choose two uh, um, comparisons. Because it's not like it's not like I can rank them one through ten. This is more more or less toxic. You're just saying, okay, which one of these is be better or worse uh, individually uh, compared against one another? Yeah. So let's let's jump forward to this uh, the the guts of the model. I think I think it's okay to just jump to the reward modeling because supervised fine tuning of of language models is kind of. Um, a big topic in itself, but it's it's also kind of, um, you know, practitioners of NLP models have have been doing it's like a black box tuning as of, far as this paper of encoder decoders for a while. So I think the the interesting parts of of this paper is going to be the reward modeling in the in the PPO, um, and you know the the paper also. Like if you look at section three five. You know, allocates one one paragraph to the fine tuning, and then the 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 meat is the reward modeling. So, 
I think it's it's interesting to start here. Um, one thing that I noticed, well, um, you know, Vahe and I were talking about this paradigm, you know, before this recording. There's a kind of a precursor paper to this, which is the um, fine-tuning language models from human preferences. It, it kind of has the same paradigm of fine-tuning, reward modeling, and then reinforcement learning. One of the differences I saw uh, between these those two papers is the original uh, fine-tuning language models uh, paper is actually doing um, uh, pairwise selection. So this ranking thing is, is one of uh, a new kind of um, contribution uh, well, by well, the authors with, with this paper. Yeah, so even in this um, paper, they're actually not doing um, ranking. They are still just doing the pairwise comparisons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Go go yeah. to page um go to page three of the paper. Page three. If you zoom in on that on figure two, maybe. They they here they kind of show a rank. Is that a ranking they're showing or labeler ranks the output? Yeah, they, they are ranking. They, like the the original data set is ranked. Yeah. But I think what Farouk is getting at is like they don't care about like, for example, in, in this chart, like D is the best and A is the worst. Mm -hmm. They don't care about like the specific rankings here, like the magnitude of difference between just the ordering, DNA. just the ordering, no, just no, no. the ordering. The, so the, the, so yeah. that's why the ordering and so let's let in that example. There's four, um, or there's an equal sign. So like, I, I, okay, so I, okay, so they're just saying that D is greater than, better than C is better than A, which is equal to B, right? So there's four kind of, uh, uh, I guess like elements in this set, and they're just. Uh, even though they're doing this ranking, this this ranking is used to create four choose two samples to train the reward model in a single batch. Okay, but the labeler is labeler is actually the labeler is going to put them in the in the ranked order. Right. But so the the the, the labeler is actually not directly comparing to, but but but. But like you said, like implicitly pairwise, they are. Pair, pair, implicitly pairwise they are. Yeah, implicitly pairwise comparisons are what are fed into the into yeah. the training. Yeah, implicitly I mean, what, they are because in order to rank D the greatest, you have to you have to compare it to C. Is it better than C? Yes. Is it better yeah, you're than? You're assuming A? it's you're assuming it's yeah. transitive. So yeah. if 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 A is better than Correct. B and B is better than C, then A is also better Correct. than C, right? Correct. And and that's just from a labeling perspective. But like it's not like it's not like in the reward model. Uh, they're trying to get the reward model to output that if you put in these, you know, D, C, A, B as a set, you're going to get an output where D has the highest reward, right? Because it, it, it's the greatest. But in order to actually train that reward model, they're yeah. not putting in this set. They're putting in the, the pairwise. D to C, yeah. D to A, D to so, B. So, so, yeah. so the interesting thing there is that let's say, let's say that I'm a labeler and I get two four responses, A, B, C, and D. And let's say I, I say A is the worst, B is next, C is next, and D is the best, right? When when the reinforcement learning actually happens, like when this loss function gets used, it's not going to actually potentially utilize the fact that 
A has a much higher reward than D, but or let's say the order was A, B, C, and D, D being the best and A the worst, right? From the user, the labeler's perspective, D might have a much higher reward than A because D is all the way, is the best of the four, right? But from the loss function's perspective, um, D and B are both equally better than A. It, all, all that it cares about is that, that the, like you said, the pairwise comparison. B is better than A, D yeah. is better than but, A. But, but implicitly with the pairwise comparison, you will get that because... Uh, uh, for example, like when all four, when all when the combinations, all, when are, all the combinations exactly. are are explored, you will but, get but that. But case right? by case basis, it's not going to know that. Correct. Like, a priori. Correct. Yeah, I understand um, what you're saying. Yeah. But but I mean, what, one one interesting thing that I sorry uh, yeah, just to finish on this this topic of labeling, uh, one thing they mentioned is the reason they do it this way is you know labeling not only is expensive like you you're paying humans to do this, but it's actually like it's really important not to have the labels like labelers mess up or like it's important to have them be consistent, right? By having them rank like multiple responses for one prompt, you, you amortize their kind of brain power. So you're, you're, you're having them read one prompt, think about that prompt and they can apply what like that prompt that's fresh in their mind to a whole bunch of different responses as opposed to like if you just give them one response to one prompt and then a new prompt, a new response, they have to learn what that prompt is asking you know, just for one response, right? Then they have to learn about a new prompt. And sure, they, they, sure. So I guess that, you're saying like there's less context switching. Like, exactly. That's right? why they do it. Yeah. This, that's why they yeah. say they do like multiple prompts for, for yeah. I mean, multiple responses for each prompt. One of their motivations. I think they also mentioned that uh, there was some sort of overfit. Something was happening as if they kind of treated each comparison as a sample and then shuffled amongst all the prompts. So I think what they do is for each prompt... Oh, because it's correlation. Because, yeah, well, uh, no, the thing is, they 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 keep the correlation. They they actually keep the correlation because they treat each prompt with all of its samples, like all of the pairwise comparisons, as a batch. Um, instead of treating them as samples and then creating this huge data set, because it's also easier to... like. Uh, they also said something about like, it's like easier to label or or it's easier computationally or something like that uh, yeah, I think they talk about this in section 3.5 uh, reward modeling in order to speed up comparison collection we present labelers with anywhere between 4 and 9 responses to rank um, since, co since comparisons are very correlated within each labeling task we found that if we simply shuffle the comparisons into a data set oh okay what they're saying here is, yeah, and that would cause overfitting. What they're saying is all the related comparisons are batched together into one yeah. update instead of like separate. And that, that that's to help uh, combat this correlation. Well, I, I suppose... A single, single, bat, single batch, so they're, like all the updates from the same prompt are all averaged into one update, are provided as a batch. Yeah, I, I guess my... My, uh, a bit of my confusion here would be that, like, why would shuffling all the comparisons into a data set cause it to overfit? Because you'd be doing a separate update. It would be like, um, yeah, you'd be doing a separate update for each comparison of the, that, that uses the same prompt. So footnote five, I guess, is trying to explain that. If each possible K-choose-2 comparisons is treated as a separate data point, then each completion will potentially be used for 
K minus one separate right. gradient updates. So basically, all, all they found was that by batching it into one gradient update, you, they get better results. Yeah, yeah. I, it's curious that they did that because my thought would have been that it would have been the opposite. My hmm. right, like <laughs> uh, for example, when you're doing RL with uh, or DQN, you know, and you have uh, replay buffer, um, you you, sh you shuffle that right because you you want to decorrelate. Um, you want to decorrelate the data, like you want to decorrelate the data. But here, I guess, I guess, kind of the um, here in this case, the 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 prompt to output, there's going to be correlation because it's the same prompt producing an output. So like each of the outputs is kind of correlated. But if you keep it in a batch, you're getting some sort of like overall average. So it's like reducing. I guess like so the the analog with RL would be um, let's say you're let's say you're keeping a, a reward uh, a replay buffer of of events that were kind of aligned in time right um, yep. the analog there would be like the stuff in the replay buffer that's close in time don't shuffle them like keep keep the really close ones together and batch them you know that like so like like let's say stuff from let's say you have an episode that's a thousand time steps. Right? Okay, so it can be from different episodes, but uh, you're saying it can be from different episodes. But if it's a, if it's a similar time step in the episode, batch maybe them that way. yeah yeah okay. ba batch similar time steps or potentially batch adjacent time steps in one episode. See the the difference in your example is in in this case in the case of that we're talking about here in this language model, it's much easier to know exactly what what's correlated in the case of like some simulated episode uh, some simulated like event, like uh let's say lunar lander or something right in, i guess because this is like a, a bandit because like there's only one like state exactly, i guess yeah. right so like only, only one state yeah. yeah but but i think like it would be more complicated to try to emulate this in in something that actually had time steps over a like a horizon over a period of time steps interesting but yeah that's that's pretty cool to think about So I had um, I had a, a kind of a question. Maybe you guys can shed light on this. Um, they um, maybe Taka, you can scroll up to figure one of the main paper where they show uh, kind of results. <clears throat> yeah. So we we see GPT like raw GPT three. It's like the worst performer here. So what this graph shows is, let's just assume one model size, the big one, 175 billion parameters. <clears throat> what this graph shows is their baseline is the supervised fine-tuned version, SFT, and which is in green on this, on this graph. And what this graph shows is how often a particular model's output is preferred to that model. So mm -hmm. SFT to itself obviously is 50% because that's the baseline. Um, <clears throat> we see that the original GPT-3 does pretty bad. It's only preferred like 20% of the time or 25% of the time. Um, <clears throat> and you can see a huge improvement just going to the supervised fine-tuning model. In fact, there's, a, there's another curve here for GPT prompted. And what that is is they actually fed ex like examples to GPT. I think they did like, I don't know if this is that one, but I know they did like a several shot, like a few shot um, 
uh, input to G to GPT three to try to do get it to do better on a particular task, and it's still un 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 underperformed Instruct GPT. And we see here how strong just supervised fine tuning is. So my my question is, if we look at the data set sizes they've used in this paper, they use thirteen thousand data points to do supervised fine tuning. 13,000. Then they use 30, 31,000 for RL and 33,000 to, tra to train the RM, the reward model. So they, they actually use 13,000 data points to do supervised fine tuning, then another 64 to do the kind of to do the RL part, right? My question is, what if they just did supervised fine tuning and instead of 13,000, they maybe went to 20,000, like one and a half times as much data or, or even like 30,000, right? Double as much data. Is it possible that they would get just as good results or close or maybe better than doing all of this RL in the first place? Like, they, there's no that's, ablation. That's a great question. Yeah, yeah, that's a great to, to, question. I think what they find is that with supervised fine tuning, it starts to like overfit very quickly. So, but what's that's gonna, all the data they have. So, if you that's expand the, the data yeah. set size, the epoch just gets longer. Like, like one epoch will just be twice as much data points, twice as many data points. Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I mean that that is a good question. Uh, um, because because like I'm not convinced. Like it RL might be great for this for this for this purpose. Like like RL might be very necessary. But I'm not. But the paper doesn't convince me of that. Like I'm not convinced that potentially RL is not just a gimmick here, and you can't do just as well with supervised learning. Like, yeah, that's. I, I'm yeah. probably wrong, but the paper did not convince me of this because I think you need to do some kind of ablation. You need to like maybe say, okay, we're only going to do, we're, we're going to do a study where we do 20,000 supervised fine tuning samples. And we, we notice that if we do that, if we double, we don't get, we get very marginal returns, right? And yeah. RL gets us a lot more returns. So, so one, one, I guess, side note is, is like, when you do the supervised fine tuning, let's say you just do that. Actually, when you do any of this, like even the RL part, you, you often see a degradation in performance on like the other NLP tasks. So like, for example, yeah, it's going to be less toxic, less unbiased and, you know, that type of stuff. It's going to be more, a more preferable response along the dimensions that, you know, we might, you know, that they optimize for, but it's not going to summarize your article properly. Uh, uh, so like, it's not going to be able to do those NLP tasks. So even if it's kind even of, if you have good, even if you had good summaries in the supervised learning? Yeah, so they data? actually mentioned this and they have a, hold on. Um, let's see, I'm trying to find if they're, if they have this result somewhere. And I would be curious to see what the trade-off uh, trade is between the RL part and the SFT on those NLP tasks, right? Because like, so, so what they're so really what they're trying to I think what they're trying to do is is okay uh, they're trying to produce more preferable outputs while still doing well on the NLP tasks or having a reduced degradation as much as possible and I if I recall correctly RL uh, fine tuning was better than supervised on that that still doesn't answer your question because. What if you just put more data? What if exactly. you took all that data? I mean, I mean I'm just looking at I'm just looking right? at how markedly we get improvement from GPT three to SFT with just thirteen thousand data samples. It's like that's where most of the improvement comes from, from the yeah. SF from going from GPT three to SFT. Yeah. 
and and I think another yeah. thing to consider here is um, the cost of the annotations. So SFT 13K is expensive. These numbers, yeah. yeah. So absolutely, like this is actually actually like summarizing stuff. So exactly, I I bet like like it's maybe like one to ten is like the the effort factor, right? So um, the reward modeling 30K in terms of the SFT number of labels, like that time is probably much less than the humans spent. Okay. Um, so 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 actually, the humans have to the humans have to rank. They have to still read. So okay. So for the SFT, they have to both read prompts and write responses. That response might be a summary. It might be a story. That's super time consuming. Agreed. Yeah. For training the remote word model, they still have to read prompts and they have to read responses because they have to rank the responses. Right. That's not as time consuming as writing a response, but I'm not sure it's a ten to one. It might be. I'm. Not, I, yeah, but I'm not. Thing, I'm not sure. Thing, though, but then they also have to do the the. Then you have to do the reinforcement learning part. Go ahead. They yeah. they have the boost with the with the like the K choose two stuff too. Like sure. that's I think that's another thing that they brought in with the with the ranking is like instead of just comparing two stuff, now they're comparing four things, but they're getting like they're reading four responses, but they're getting like yeah. training data. they're getting like six six uh, 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 samples. Also, from it. also yeah. once you train a reward model, once you have a sufficiently trained reward model, effectively you that's a way to auto. Uh, an automated way to to create uh, labels, right? Sure, sure. Right, right. So, so really, what you're doing is you want to bootstrap from supervised fine tuning, and you want to use that model to generate more data, and you're using the reward model yeah. to create a label for that data. So then you can effectively you're just ba doing basically supervised it's a scaling learning. thing. It's yeah, a scaling yeah, yeah. thing. It's like, scaling like, like thing. doing it this way allows you to yeah. potentially uh, in, in scale fact, to huge amounts of data, right? Yeah, Whereas yeah. just doing supervised learning, you can never scale to like yeah. millions of data samples, right? Yeah. In, in fact, like, you know, sometimes we've seen uh, um, some people call uh, view reinforcement learning as a form of unsupervised learning, right? But then other people kind of view reinforcement learning as supervised through reward and that reward may be delayed right you might not get that reward until the end of the trajectory really here if you want to like kind of summarize this they're doing a little bit of supervised learning and then they're doing uh they're using that model to generate data and they have another model that generates the label so the reward model is basically generating the label for mm -hmm. that right um so in a way they're actually are doing supervised learning it's just that they yeah. came up with this method to create automatic labels so right? so but but having said all that yeah. well, i would be interested in in having a new paper where they take all the man hours that yeah. were spent doing the reward model the training same number of man, man hours same yeah. number of man hours and just use those to generate additional supervised learning samples and let and see how much better that model does sure like imagine if that model sure. does just as well as this model right sure so like, like under the same compute budget and maybe labeling but uh, not labeling budget but like man hour slash man labeling hour, yeah. budget uh i mean that would be a cool supervised yeah that would be a really be cool ablation. interesting yeah. ablation to like yeah. just just as a comparison to, to kind of prove to the reader that you need reinforcement learning right like i'm not 100 percent convinced that i need reinforcement learning sure i wouldn't i don't know if i'd even i mean this is semantic but it's not really even an ablation it's like just do the same yeah, thing yeah. but like you yeah well if we have a if we have a learning curve for the sft model that's already kind of indicative of um and, and the return on data. And, and in fact, if you so, actually look at their full loss function, 
Um, you oh, could Tucker, just, that, you that's could a just, great point. They, uh, they don't give us a learning curve. Like, do they give us a learning curve over number of supervised learning samples? I don't see that graph. They don't. They that would yeah. that would be. But if we see that, if we see that, we might actually get the answer to our question without any further like yeah. experimentation. Yeah, that's that, that that's that a great is point. Very, that's very compute heavy to generate that. No, the no, but, no, but they, that they, they, they have it. They have it already, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it might be compute intensive. Because no, yeah. for each for each like five percent data, ten percent data, whatever. Uh, you need you're to gonna do need this, to do the, the full thing, yeah, yeah. Epochs. yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but let's uh, let's take take a look at this reward model loss function because I think it's it's interesting to look at this reward model. Um, I just wanted to. I'm looking at page eight, equation one. Um, so we're looking at the loss function. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, so it's a negative, which means so this is. A maximization optimization right so um, the expectation is over the data set X is the prompts Y W is the summary that won and Y L is the summary that lost and so what this is saying is that we have an we have an R theta that's the reward model that takes in an article and the summary that one and we take the same reward model put in the article in the summary that lost and we're saying that we're trying to maximize the reward model so that the the article that wins actually has a higher number yeah so you're right. trying to maximize it's maximum likelihood but it's on the maximum you want to maximize the likelihood of the difference between the reward water, uh, the 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 prompt that won or the response that won versus the response that lost. So, like, if you have A and B, right? Yeah. Um, and and A is greater than B, then A won. So you want to you want to you want an output such that when 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 um when you when you feed the model A, it produces a higher value than when you feed the model B, right? Because A1. Right. But the problem, one of the, one of the, I guess it's not a problem, but like, uh, you see they're also putting it through a sigmoid to like, to get like some probably, so it's like kind of a nice, like, uh, it's a clever it's way. A yeah, it's, it's, it's a clever way to get a model to learn to kind of it's like funny it's, cle rank. it's clever and crude at the same time it's like you know when a user ranks two things those two responses might actually be close in the user's Correct. mind might be like oh but these are great summaries this one's Correct. a little bit better this Correct. this the reinforcement learning lot the last one is trying to maximize the distance between the two it's trying to yeah. kind of make so, one really bad and one really good so, so here's where here's where you will get this to work is because let's say they have um seven buckets that you can put or so, yeah, so, seven. If k if k is not if k is like nine or whatever, you have uh, you have possibly nine different buckets you can put because they're still doing that comparison, that ranking. If you look at like that figure one, they're still doing that ranking, right? So you can get that resolution that you're talking about, but you're gonna get it through the data because you're gonna have like, for example, in that uh, example from figure one. One's gonna you, one's gonna be better than a whole bunch of other ones. One's gonna be better than a, a whole, whole bunch, bunch of, of other ones. So you're yeah. gonna have D greater than C, D greater than A, D, uh, D yeah, greater a than point. B, right? So depending, 
Uh, dude, the resolution of that model, the resolution of that model is uh, is kind of like related to this k, whatever mm. you know, and that's also why they have k in the loss function, right? Um, uh, they're and that's also over why they have to put that put all these into the same batch, correct? To get the correct. resolution, yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it helps getting it. It sense. helps reduce the variance. So like, it is cl it is crude, but it, it it's clever because. Uh, <laughs> It does get you that resolution, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. One one major weakness of this reward model, I believe, is um, like it's not it's not a reward function in the sense that like it's not the golden like it's not environment provided. So like, we're training this based on whatever the SFT output it as a summary, but like as we make GPT better, the summaries that are going to come out are going to be outside the distribution of whatever summaries like the people were ranking. So the reward model won't be able to handle whatever new summaries. Like this, this model is kind of stuck in in a world where the human labelers were actually ranking the original summaries. But 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 so. but shouldn't there be like shouldn't like even the the original summaries which were worse still had kind of a notion of better and worse right so there's yeah, a notion there's a, there's a trajectory so, so there's but a like trajectory. there's there's a there might be like a summary that you know gpt didn't even imagine like sure. there might be like a whole and then but the, that the, but, ranking but that, would be outside of the scope of this rule model maybe but it might also kind of fit in that trajectory somewhere like uh, like something that's that's better might might be recognized as better even though it was could be yeah so that's i guess that's the question of like how good this function approximation yeah, is exactly. of, of an actual reward so um, so so yeah one kind of thought here and this is going to get into the next part then the, the next loss function is let's say you do this um and you train on like all you know uh you do this reward model and then you train using this reward model like you generate some you generate some uh take some prompts you generate some outputs you use this reward model to to output some scalar reward for how good that how preferable that um pro uh, uh output is and then you train a model in you know uh using that you're gonna you're gonna output very like i guess like bias averse or like you know whatever whatever these uh very preferable um uh, responses agnostic of like whether you're actually solving the task unless you included that as part of the, those dimensions right well, what, what which what means you, you would need to explicitly by, what do you mean by this so let's say let's say um let's say your your task is translate something from french to or translate something from english to french but your reward but let's say you have like a curse word in there your model is gonna be so like it's gonna be so uh uh it's not gonna output the the, the direct translation hmm. yeah yeah they they mention um because it's harmful yeah, yeah they mentioned with respect to um bias that they encountered problems where um with underrepresented groups um 
I'm saying if you did justice, if you yeah, did yeah, justice, if, if you filter, yeah. if you filter for if if the data set has a lot of let's say toxicity associated with an underrepresented group, and you now try to reduce uh, the amount of toxicity, you end up reducing its ability to handle questions about underrepresented rep, represented groups because it just avoids mentioning those groups to avoid the toxicity. I think this is kind of related uh, to okay, okay. what you're saying. This is this. There, there are like problems related to exactly what you're saying. I think when you reduce yeah. bias or if the data set is flawed, I guess, I guess sense, humans sense do that, that it doesn't too, have right? a lot of good examples. I guess humans do that too, right? Like, uh, for example, people can be. I, I mean, people can be like closet racists, right? Or or whatever, and just right? avoid talking about just it. Just avoid talking about it, right? Yeah. So so. Uh, uh, yeah, that's interesting, I guess. But th that that's a little bit different because humans may still have the intent. This model does not have that intent. But like, yeah. Um. Yeah, they, they, they mentioned in the paper that um, Instruct GPT, the final output, um, showed noticeable improvements on toxicity, but not bias. It's just interesting to note. Like it didn't, it's not worse, but it's not really better than GPT-3 as far as uh, okay. the, the bias benchmarks go. So okay, we have this we have this cool nice thing reward model that tells us which summary is better. How do we use that for reinforcement learning? Mm. We would need to spit out a, a a scalar reward, right, for any any response. So that is what the reward model does, right? Give it a response, it's going to output a scalar reward. Yeah, that's what the reward model does. Then we need to use that as our signal to do reinforcement learning. And uh, they're using uh, PPO, right? Um, they treat, obviously, we talked about this, the environment here is a bandit. So if you think about the model itself as the, the output of the model or the model itself as the policy. So basically right? there's only one reward per episode, right? Yeah, yeah. There's one reward per episode. One episode is basically X goes into the model, which is the prompt, Y, the response comes out, right? And yeah. we're... It's a single time step. Yeah. And and what we want is... Do, do they do time steps per token or do they just do... Um, I know there's only one reward for the whole response, but... Um, well, that's that's why they call it abandoned environment, yeah. right? They, they there don't is no time do steps. like a per token. No so I thought I, I, which I feel is like kind of a waste. There was maybe it was I, one of I the other papers, one of these precursors, where they talk about um, uh, that yeah, it, it's kind, it is a bandit, but internally they 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 do a time step per token, but it may not be this paper. Yeah, it's one of the precursors. I think it's the Steinin paper. Um. Well, they do follow Steinin, so uh, perhaps they do. Uh, let me check the implementation details on this thing. In any case, yeah. So it's it's a policy gradient method. So by doing it this way, they don't have to worry about like trajectories and things like that. They only need to worry about this reward. What gets returned from this reward function, and then. Because I don't think they would use the bandit terminology if it wasn't just like single time step. Because then it wouldn't be a bandit. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's yeah. They just you treat it as a single time step thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, so look, uh, given a prompt and a response, it produces a reward de determined by the reward model and ends the episode. It's in 3.5 three, mm -hmm. three, in the RL section. So, yeah, it seems like it's a, this single time step. And then, I guess, um, if so, so that is the, in, in, in equation two, you have the, um, in the first expectation, you have the um, R sub theta x y, so that's the reward of the prompt that you got, right? Um, uh, but then you also have this uh, term that's attenuated by this hyperparameter beta, which is um, kind of like a form of, uh, I guess, like regularization or whatever. But what they're what they're really regularizing this by is um, they want the they want the RL policy or the or the the response. They want the response of this uh, this um, RL tuned model to somewhat match this fine tuned model for the same mm -hmm. response, right? Um, yeah. So so if the if the R, if the if the probability of taking an action in the RL model is let's say much greater than yeah. what it, what is in supervised learning model, that second term, the yeah. one that has the negative beta coefficient, will be large, and yeah. the reward will shrink. So, so that's. So this is so what this, what this actually means. What this actually means is that for every data point, for every prompt, they must have a supervised uh, label for it. Huh. Or, or what they're saying is, can't they just do inference? Can't they just no, no, do no, 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 no. They don't need the ground truth because it's this. It's the same. Why it's the, it's 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 the. It, oh, it's the same could, y. It's the probability that the supervised fine-tuning model would have produced that output. So with some probability, you have some prompt x. With some probability, your supervised fine-tuning would produce that model. And what you're saying is that the RL, the distribution um, over the same tokens of your RL model should try to match the supervised fine-tuning so model. so so it's not inference at all it's like look looking up what that probability is for for the yeah. xy pair how, how would you do that let's say you have your supervised fine-tuning model and how do you provide both a prompt and a response and get a probability output um so they're doing it's like per token right so uh what it you know given a given a you put the you you have a bunch of you know you have a huge like token dictionary right of like um uh and you do kind of like you might do something like you know in a language model you might do something like beam search over that like you know once you have uh once you once you have like you know the 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 output of the model right you do beam search to, f to figure out which token it is so like or you might you know and you might sample from a distribution or something like that so at the end of the of your model you have like um, it's it's not like you have a deterministic output. You have like a distribution over your tokens, so you can get at, get like what is the probability that I obtain, for so example, you, SOS. Yeah. So um, would you like if you were actually let let's say implementing this, would you actually do inference on X and then just observe? Yeah. What the probabilities are. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. And then and then just kind of monitor for the Y for the tokens yeah. that actually construct Y what those probabilities are, are as you're doing inference on X. I believe so. Are. I believe so. I haven't looked at. I don't haven't looked at. I. I, I don't think they have the code for this. Yeah. But like, um, I believe that's what you would do. Um, that's that's what I. That's what yeah. I. That's what I infer from their per token KL penalty. 
that's yeah that's pretty pretty sophisticated right compared to like you know more well consider what this is actually doing is like well they mentioned it to mitigate over optimization of the reward model so i guess this is a way to like regularize the model so that it is still outputting things so this is kind of getting back to what you said by the supervised fine-tuning model was so good uh, or yeah. the, the is so good that you don't want to d- diverge too much from it. Sure. You're, you're just trying to get it, a, you know, this is really like saying, hey, like, don't diverge too much from <laughs> This the is even more evidence that, this yeah. even more, makes me wonder even more how much better, like, taking those yeah. man hours and putting it into... So effectively, effectively what we're, you know, effectively what we're, I mean, if you put in those man hours, I would say it would be better. Yeah. Right? But how much it, better? <laughs> well, we don't know how much better, but it would be better because if you yeah. think about it, the supervised fine-tuning is the strongest signal you can give the model. This RL stuff is to, in an automated way, in a more automated way, create some weak signal, yeah. right? And, 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 and you're able I, to I do can, better. I can think of some arguments that say that RL brings something to the table that supervised fine-tuning doesn't. Like, for example, um, if you take hallucination as a problem, let's say, you know, supervised fine-tuning we have human labelers that are, you know, people make mistakes, right? So like there, there might be summaries that have like mistaken facts in, in them. Um, it's hard to tell just from supervised fine tuning, which are the errors versus which are the correct ones. So you need another layer of signal that says like, you know, Lying is bad. Well, no, but and, I, I guess you know Vahe's point is you could create a huge data supervised data set of with the intention that lying is bad. And yeah, that, I mean, the, the, things, the, right? yeah, the error rate's going to be there, and it's not going to grow as you increase the data set size. Um, but I, so, I mean, I mean, for, to me, in my mind right now, the real advantage to RL from this paper, the way this paper presents it, would be scaling. Meaning, yeah. like, if you can, if you can get from, you know, thirteen thousand. Supervised learning samples might have taken, let's say, a million dollars and 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 two months, right, to obtain. If you can get like ten times that data in like a week, because you're doing RL, that might just be too powerful to overcome with supervised learning, right? But if yeah. you're only getting like double the data or roughly the same amount of data, then I don't know. Uh, I'm not mm. I'm not completely convinced that. Yeah, it's so, adding so, that much value. Yeah, so I, I, I guess I guess what we would need here is like, even if we take, if we assume that if you did the same, with the same amount of data, you were able to do a supervised fine tuning model, it would be even better than the RL. Um, let's just kind of assume that, in order for the RL to bring value, it would really be the scaling, right? And in order to show that, you would need to say. The RL saved X amount of time based on how long it took to find, uh, how long it took to do the current SFT, and how many, how much more data we were able to generate in this yeah. in a lot less time with the PPO and RL based method, right? But um, really, this is just a way to create weak labels effectively. I, I mean, if you look you at their know, loss function, yeah. If you look at their loss function, they, they're they're taking their already you know supervised model. And they're trying to do a way to create this these weak labels, uh, but they they're re- in order to not overfit to this you know whatever spurious or weak you know spurious signal might be also in there, right? Yeah. 
they're regularizing by the supervised fine-tuning model saying don't diverge too much from (laughs) but not not only that but they have a third term they have a third term going by the you know the original gpt ptx yeah so so you know here here's another here's another angle to my pitch for and and I'm a, I love RL like that's my favorite branch of machine learning. It's not like I'm anti reinforcement learning, but here's another pitch for my supervised learning. A lot of the like areas in RL that that I really, you know, enjoy reading about are where things are kind of just kind of pure RL like tabula rasa like there's very little human like input, right? This is kind of the opposite. It's like you're not letting the re- reinforcement learning uh, training go unhindered. You're you you you're you're minimizing the KL divergence with supervised learning. Then on top of that, you're making sure the original GPT three updates still play some role, right? There's so much constraining of the RL, and it just begs the question of, you know, if you're not really doing RL, like, is it really necessary? How necessary is it? You know. Mm. Well, I, well, one could claim, although although I agree that perhaps the paper should. Have done a little more to convince us. The, uh, although I don't feel like that's the objective of the paper, but like um, uh, the, in terms of the RL helps um, extract more signal. Like it does better than supervised baseline. I don't think we can claim that RL is better than supervised learning. That's the claim I feel like cannot or be per made. Man, per man hour. Like per how, man how hour. much value does, does per, it add per, on top per of man it? Hour, yeah. per, per man hour and data, right? Per, act, effectively per data, right? Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, per, you know, uh, label, uh, if, if you have the same amount of data as, with the, as this model was trained on and it was purely supervised, you know, I think we have a strong prior that that supervised learning would have been better, right? Um, uh, yeah. at, at least. It is. It is helping for sure. Yeah, because the lines are right. higher. Right. Then, also, the win rate metric. I need to think this through, but might there might be some, uh, what do you call it? Kind of diminishing returns. Where like, um, going from zero point two to zero point five is easier than going from zero point five to. That's a good 0. point too. Six. Sure. Sure. So, so th- this know, graph doesn't this, really let us appreciate linear, how much work RL is yeah. doing, perhaps. Sure. But sure. but these are all these are all good questions that but, are hard to answer. Yeah. Right. With to be determined. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we're run, running out of time. Really great discussion, guys. I think it was a good paper to kick oh, off. There's one final. Yeah. There's one final thing I wanted to talk about. Actually. Yeah. Go. Uh, so. In one of their parts, they mentioned something that uh, kind of alludes towards ChatGPT, even though this paper came out um, a year ago. Uh, they say, uh, hold on, where is it? Uh, There's no doubt that ChatGPT uses this methodology, right? Yeah, so they say that there is, the a, pro- there is a problem with... Um, uh, there's a problem with, like, they're doing research on refusal. Because there's a, uh, where is this? Uh, it's on page 36. They say, uh, we're, okay, so in the labeling instructions, um, they say that uh, during the labeling, they had labels prioritize helpfulness to the user as the most important criteria above truthfulness and harmlessness, right? So during labeling, uh, they had them prioritize. And then like, they switched it. Does it act, but then in the final evaluations, they had them prioritize truthfulness and harm, harmlessness 
Yeah. So they're yeah. saying that, like, they're exploring avenues for uh, having the model sometimes prioritize truthfulness and harmlessness over helpfulness during training, yeah. right? Through the, especially, particularly through the to the use of refusal. So, so for example, if you, if I ask you to translate some like a curse word, or like yeah. a really or like like or something that's like racially motivated or something from English to French, it will actually refuse rather than yeah. like give me a bad translation. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and or that's an really actually accurate, yeah. accurate translation that's toxic. Yeah, and I've, that's what ChatGPT does, and that's what ChatGPT actually does. Reality. Yeah, so I thought I thought that yeah. was kind of cool. Yeah, that is interesting. All right, thanks guys, and uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, if you like this episode, uh, please uh, follow us on Twitter at sign argmax fm. Um, and subscribe on apple podcasts give us some ratings and reviews um and if you have any papers that uh are interesting to you that you'd like us to cover uh please send them our way and we'd love to uh read new papers so um but with that thanks and uh see you next time bye-bye thanks everyone thanks guys